Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Okay, I'm Reverend Bill McDonald, and I started my life out. I was born in San Francisco, California, and in 1954, I got really sick, deathly sick. I was uh, going to school in Sunnyvale, California, and I kept going to class sick, and my teacher saw me and thought I looked really bad. I mean, I was just really awful looking because I was having all kinds of problems with my kidneys and my lungs and everything else. So she sent me to school nurse, school nurse, sent me home, told my parents to get this kid checked on. I got home and uh, nobody did anything. I just laid in bed for another week or two and got weaker and weaker until my aunt visited and she said to my mother, hey, take this kid to a doctor. He looks really terrible. Doctors came and visited me and, and basically an hour later, I was taken to the uh, San Jose County Hospital, which was at the time, that's what it was called. I don't know what it's called now. We entered there and they took a look at me and they immediately strapped me into a gurney, took me away from my parents. And that was the first time I was away from home. I was almost eight and a half years old at the time. And it's the first time I've ever really been away from home. I never even been away for a day or a night or anything. So I was taken away and I heard them telling my parents, it doesn't look good. Looks like he brought him in too late. We're not sure he's going to make it a day or two. So just be prepared. And unlike nowadays where parents kind of hang around the hospital, they strolled me away to, you know, down a hall, and I'm looking at the ceiling with the lights, and I'm strapped in, and my parents are gone. And there I am at eight and a half years old, totally by myself. They take me out to an isolation ward because I had mumps, I had pneumonia, I had a kidney disease, I had several other problems with me, all related from initially just getting the mumps. And the mumps, that disease progressed and cascaded down through the systems, you know, to the lungs, to the kidneys, to other functions of my body. And so I found myself very, very weak that first evening in the hospital. And they took me into a room and they took these real long needles and they stuck them in my back, going into my lungs to pump fluid out of my lungs. And I went through that several times. But the first night they drained it off. And they got done and it was about nine o'clock at night. And then they put me in this room and that was it. It was like, okay, kid, we're done with you. We'll see you, you know, tomorrow. Nobody tucked me in bed. Nobody held my hand. Nobody said, how do you feel? Are you okay? Are you lonely? Nothing. It just left me alone in this room, turned off the lights, total darkness. And while I'm laying there, something happened. There was like this strange feeling like I got terms for it now, but then I wasn't sure what it was. It was like, in my mind then, it was like my body and my spirit, you know, the real me, it was trying to separate it was like trying to come out of my body and it was nothing holding it in. And all of a sudden I felt myself floating above 
this child body below me, this broken body that was really sick, very thin, very weak. And I felt the pain in my body go away. And I realized that I wasn't feeling any pain. And I glanced down because I felt like I was floating and hovering over the body. And I looked down and I felt sorry for that body. It was like, wow, I feel sorry for that body. That's in bad shape. But I knew even at that age, I was not that body. I was this spirit. Or as I would say nowadays, I was this consciousness separated from that body. But at that time, it was just, it wasn't me. And it was separated. It was like it was being pulled and lifted from the body itself. Like it was trying to escape, but it wasn't fully gone. It was there, but it was like a part of me was still hanging on to it. And the room got light. So it was both light with lightness and light because of there was no weight on me. It was like I was I was just a feather. And as I'm looking at the clouds and stuff around me, all of a sudden I'm just feeling, and this is not going to come as surprise anybody that's been watching any videos on near-death experiences, you feel great love. Everybody puts it in a different way, but I think the way I described it back then is I had an Italian grandmother, right? You know, they pinch your cheeks, they hug you. It was like all of a sudden I had a million Italian grandmothers pinching my cheeks and hugging me and just loving me. It was that kind of feeling. It was like, you're loved. Even though I had entered that hospital and was basically separated from my parents, totally lonely, and now all of a sudden I was feeling the greatest love that I've ever felt up to that time in my entire life. There was just no denying it. I was loved. Not only did I feel love, but I felt loving. In return, I was a part of that love. There was no separation between the love I was getting, the love I was feeling, and the love I was giving. It was all one. And then it was like clouds all around me. And all of a sudden, I started seeing images, like a movie was unfolding. And it was just like a big panorama of scenes. A lot of people talk about they die, they go through a tunnel, they see the light, then they have a life review. Well, at eight years old, you're not going to have much of a life review. It pulled the dog's tail, you know, you teased your sister or something. There's no big stuff to go over. So I had something very unusual. I had a cascading kaleidoscope that was a preview of the next 50 years of my life. I was eight and a half years old, and I saw pretty much everything that would transpire in my life. I was almost 59 years old. And I know that is true because, you know, it did transfer over to the real world, and I found myself having deja vu, deja vu, deja vu, knowing what was going to happen and everything else. And I saw things. I saw things like my wife, who I met in high school, and I knew I was going to marry her. And then I saw us later on in life, and I saw the children I was going to have. I saw the Vietnam War. Now, this is 1954 or so. Vietnam War was not on the news. That's something I'd be watching on television. But I saw these strange-looking helicopters. I knew they were helicopters, but they were strange-shaped. They looked like tadpoles, a Huey helicopter. They were just being invented then. They weren't even out in the field flying around any wars. So I knew things were going to happen. I saw the Kennedy assassination. It was like I was watching it on black-and-white television. I even saw... Ronald Reagan getting shot. I assumed that he was going to be killed. I didn't see him die, but I just, I thought he would because I saw him getting shot, but I was wrong because he didn't die, which is good. Other than that one event that didn't come exactly as I thought it would, everything else did. What houses I was going to live at, where I was going to work, who I was going to meet, my children, college, all of it in front of me. And Later in life, at the last of this presentation of images, I saw myself going to India and when I was about 58 and a half, almost 59 years old, I saw myself in India. And that's kind of where this vision kind of ended, me going to India in search of whatever wisdom or experiences or 
Babaji's cave in this case. But I knew that was kind of like where the journey was going. And while I was doing that, there was a, a couple of numbers kept flipping around. There was a two and a nine. It flipped over, it looked like 59, sometimes it looked like 29. And I didn't know at the time what that meant. I thought, well, maybe at 29, maybe I'm going to die or maybe at 59, maybe I'll die. Maybe I'll have a close call. Maybe there'll be some major changes in my life. So all that was going on as I was laying there. And you got to remember, I'm laying there totally feeling love. have no clue, none at all, how long it was taking. I had no idea when, if, and all these other questions that's going to get out. I finally realized, though, that, well, if I'm seeing the future, that means I have a future. So dying at that moment in that hospital, that wasn't a projected future. So basically, I knew that I was going to be coming back. It's interesting because I really didn't want to come back. It was like I was happy. I was content. So I finally found myself drifting, literally kind of just kind of drifting back down into the body. And all of a sudden I had this heavy weight. It was like the body was, you know, a thousand pounds. It's when, when you're like a feather floating and all of a sudden you're just heavy object, this material body, it's, it's really difficult. So I laid there and, and I was no longer thinking about crying because nobody was there for me. I was just feeling loved. And I ended up being in that hospital in this isolation ward for weeks, but I ended up being in the hospital for a year. One year of pretty much mostly isolation, bed rest, could get out of bed, had to stay in bed. I found myself having nothing but time every day to do absolutely nothing. I had no television, no radio, no books, no newspapers, no coloring books, no toys, no phones, no cell phone, obviously, not even a landline, nothing. I had visitors come on Sundays, usually. My mother and my stepdad would come, and I'd see them for 10, 15 minutes, and they'd be off. And that would be it. So the entire week, I'd have 10 to 15 minutes of visiting, and the rest of the time, I'd be left to my own devices. I'd be in a room by myself. Now, people have heard me tell this story, and they go, wow, you're, you're alone. I mean, that's really terrible. And I go, no. It was absolutely one of the best things that ever happened to me, because while I was alone all that time, my mind became like a playground where I could explore my inner thoughts, my inner feelings. I made up my own meditations. So I was spending my time in bed, exploring through my imagination, my visualization, and through my inner meditations every day, I was spending my time in this bliss. And I started having conversations with God, with Jesus. There was nobody else around to talk to. So in my mind, I was sharing everything with Jesus. And that was my big thing at the time. I was like, I gotta share this with Jesus. Hey Jesus, here I am. Wouldn't be speaking out loud, it's all inside my head. So that kind of went on for a year. When I left the hospital, here were some of the things that changed, which I knew all of a sudden that experience I had had changed me. When I got home, I thought about the future. And I thought about this 2959, maybe I'm in danger of dying at something. Maybe, maybe I need to take better care of myself because I was awfully sick at that age. And I was under treatment for the next six or seven years afterwards. I was taking penicillin and medicine and going back to doctors for six or seven years after that year in the hospital. So I was still pretty sickly. I came out of the hospital and decided I was going to become a vegetarian. I decided I wasn't really going to be doing uh, alcohol and drugs, caffeine and nicotine and Pretty much avoided all that stuff, figured, well, if I want to stay healthy, I got to change my course of direction. I got to change my frequency, my vibration. I got to take care of me because I felt like there was something 2959 waiting for me. Maybe I need to change. I'm home about a week and I'm sitting on the sofa with my mother. And all of a sudden I hear what sounds like a church choir. 
It's beautiful. It's all these feminine, beautiful voices, and it's singing, and it's just, and I'm looking around, there's no television on, no radio on, no record player on, nothing. My mother comes in, and she says, you hear that? I go, yes, and we both heard it. And we walked through the whole house checking to see if we could find the source of this heavenly choir, this angelic chorale of music. It was just, the vibration of it was just so loving. So we went outside, we walked the block down the street each direction and looked around. Wherever we went, the sound never changed the volume. It was always the same level. And it was penetrating. It was like surround sounds. You know, it was like penetrating. It was there. The sound would vibrate your whole body. My back, my my spine was just like vibrating. And so when we gave up trying to find the source of it. My mother finally goes, well, you know, that's probably the angels are singing to you. Enjoy it. So we did. So the next day, I have two dogs, and my smallest dog got out, ran out in front of the house and got hit by a car. car was going about 40 miles an hour. Flatten this dog. Boom, he's laying out in the street. I hear the, the, the sound of the crash. I run out there, and the dog's got blood coming out, trickling out of its mouth, its nose, trickling out of its eyes, out of its ears. It's kind of flattened. It's got tongue hanging out. Practical purpose, it looked dead. I picked it up, and I brought it in the house, and I really, really loved this dog. And I tried to to do something for it that I had taught myself while I was in the hospital. But at the time I was in the hospital, I kept thinking, well, if you're charging your body up with all this energy, but you're not using that energy physically, where's it going? So I thought it was like, you're charging your inner batteries. So I pictured it like I have batteries inside it where I could charge up my body and bring in through t tension and, and visualization of energy coming in. I have this energy there, like, like my battery was charged. I decided to use that thought process on my dog. So I took the dog in the house, had it on my lap, and I put my hands on the dog's torn up, broken body, and I just energized that, visualized light, energy, and love, love coming down, coming out of my fingertips into the dog. And it was like static electricity, which, and it was like, boom, where, you know, with a, with a defibrillator. Dog got up, ran around, lived his rest of his life until he, he was finally uh, killed later on, but it was years. And so my time in the hospital and my experience with the near death, it taught me several things. One, we are loved more than we could ever imagine. Two, we are guided. There are guides on the other side. I felt guided when I came home, when I heard that angelic choir, it felt like I was being looked after, cared after, and I was protected. So people talk about the ultimate question is, did you ever get changed by near death experience? And I'm saying, yes, absolutely. And it, Eight and a half years old when it happened, it changed me profoundly. Not only become a vegetarian, but I also became drug-free, alcohol-free, smoke-free, everything. Took care of myself. I changed my destiny to the destiny that I foresaw. And I learned something about healing in the process as well for myself, for my dog, and for others. And so that's what I do now. I go out and I teach workshops all across the world. I just was speaking and doing healing process uh, workshops in India this last January, and I've been to Salt Lake City, and New York, and North Carolina, all over the country. I'm going to go to other countries over the next couple of years, teaching what I've learned from my first near-death experience.